there. I'm Christine Zernheld. AKA Shep. And it is officially a special edition of Marketing O'Clock. I am joined by three very special guests to talk about a couple of PPC news stories that just truly were too much for our regular show. It would have gone way too long. So our Friday news show with Jess and Greg is already published on our YouTube or wherever you're listening to this right now. So be sure to check that out too. But for this episode, we're going to focus solely on the major changes that are happening with Google ads. And we're going to dive deep into a discussion with some fabulous experts, as I said before. So we're calling this marketing a talk because you know, we need like a stupid name here. <laughs> and you know, I'm good at talking. Yeah. So that's what we're going with marketing a talk. So first, I will introduce our guest. You know her and love her, the organizer of PPC Chat and president of Neptune Moon. We have Julie Baccini. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. Us too. <laughs> and then we are also joined by another PPC expert, Andrea Cruz from the fabulous co-marketing. Hello, Andrea. How are you? Hi, guys. Good. And you? Awesome. Thanks for being here. And then finally... We have a familiar face, Cypress North's own digital marketing and demand generation expert and a regular here on Marketing O'Clock, Mark Saltarelli. Mark, you had to be here, but thanks for taking the time. <laughs> of course, you know, like twist my arm a little bit, but you know, I'm thrilled to be here because my favorite things are talking and complaining about these ad network giants. <laughs> so really a little bit too much. Yeah, we're excited. So I won't hold you guys back anymore. There are a couple of really big things that have either been announced or speculated on over the past week in the world of Google ads. So that is what we are here to talk about today. And if it's okay with you, I would like to start with what is in my opinion, the most egregious. So we have a piece of confirmed news. I saw this first shared by Rachel at PPC Rachel on Twitter on Wednesday, September 2nd. And she had this notification in Google ads that we all woke up to that morning. And it says, changes to the search terms report. We are updating the search terms report to only include terms that were searched by a significant number of users. As a result, you may see fewer terms in your search terms report going forward. So we've all had some time to process this by this point. Um, but I will start with you, Julie. Why do you think this is such a hot topic in the PPC community? And what are people saying? People are saying a lot. I mean, I was involved in, in, you know, back and forth Twitter discussion up until I was like getting ready to do this. <laughs> um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of opinions about it. I mean, Google clarified a little bit after the sort of initial news broke that they're doing this. They're saying that they're doing it for, for privacy. Um, uh, I have thoughts on that, but in, in general, <laughs> I think less data, especially for paying advertisers, is never really a great thing. So I, I have concerns about this, uh, especially for smaller advertisers who have smaller budgets and who have lower, lower search volume, where you may have a decent number of terms that could hit this sort of ill-defined threshold, right? Like what is significant? Nobody knows. Yeah. So it has the potential to be really problematic for advertisers of all sizes if you can't see those terms and negative out the ones you don't want. Definitely. And a big part of this that people are talking about is this comes not, I don't want to say on the heels, but it comes after we've already been dealing with close variants in our accounts for so long. So Mark, how do you think this news kind of meshes with 
the world of close variance and how do you see it coinciding? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I've been very vocal about how I feel about close variant matching. I've been getting crazy, crazy things. So the other day I had one and the keyword it's for a manufacturing software. The keyword we're bidding on is electronic logbook. And the close variant match that we saw in the search terms report that had one click was not great. It was <laughs> Epstein's logbook. That is insane. And that only got one click, so it would not appear in the search terms report moving forward, but that one click could have had a very damaging impact on this brand. They are one of the leaders in manufacturing technology right now, and if that one person screenshots that, it just doesn't, it's not a good luck to be appearing next to news about Epstein and we had no idea if that, like in the future, like that could happen and we would have no idea that it happened and that we're driving traffic from Epstein. Like that is crazy. Yeah. And just to think about like how many other small queries that are terrible close variant matches for like manufacturing productivity software we had like, or no, the, the term, the keyword was um, production tracking software and it matched to produce tracking software and generated two clicks like that was something that also and it's like these things are crazy and there's going to be so many of these things that we won't have a chance to negative out so i think the big thing is that in order to get that volume to be able to see them to whatever this mysterious significant number is like we're gonna have to be looking at negative keywords like looking at search terms over a much longer period of time than we normally would so that it reaches that volume threshold it's crazy how much we're gonna have to spend on these bad matches before we're able to see them Totally. And I just want to say, because Andrea and Julie, you're not always on the show. I laugh sometimes so I can avoid crying because that was just (laughs) a terrible story. And I'm like laughing to it, which is crazy. But yeah, that's like a compliance issue and a legal problem and something that our clients are going to want to know about. Imagine also if you were using dynamic keyword insertion for those queries. And (laughs) just just imagine the, the, the realm of possibilities that we could be talking here about. That is such a good point. Yeah, the things yikes. that could show up in your ads. That's really and you won't thought. be able to see it because you don't know it's happening because you don't have the visibility anymore. Terrifying. It's that combo. I think it's that combo of the continued fuzzing up of the matches and then taking away sort of this layer of visibility or protection that, you know, I mean, I've already over the last year been spending way more time in queer reports and then putting negatives in. Um, because it's been necessary, the way that the, that the terms match now, um, just not, uh, <laughs> not being able to see a lot of that. It just, it gives me a lot of, you know, a lot of concern. I mean, it, you know, I, I am concerned about this. I know not everybody shares that, you know, shares that opinion mm-hmm. right now. Um, but until this gets clarified in a way that makes me feel more comfortable on its face right now, it's, it's pretty concerning, particularly for that reason. Definitely. And I think a lot of people do share your concerns. So another <laughs> I, thing that Julie hinted at before was that Google cited data privacy as the reason for this change. And in a quote in Ginny Marvin's article for Search Engine Land, they said, in order to maintain our standards of privacy and strengthen our protection 
around user data, we have made changes to our search terms report to only include terms that a significant number of users search for. So Andrea, what do you think is really the reason for this change? Do you buy this data protection story or do you think there's more to it? I think there's more to it. And I'm going to make you think about it with a question. When was the last time you saw personal identifiable data in your search query report? It's really odd that that happens. Yeah, as a matter of fact, people that may have not been doing paid for a very long time might not know that you don't see before this change, you didn't see 100% of the queries. There was a two, 3% that was also, mm -hmm. that was always a skew. So again, when was the last time you saw something like a social security number or addresses of someone or something like that? You don't, you didn't see it. So is it truly that the issue? And as Julie mentioned too, or she hinted, if some people are not concerned by it, um, I think if you have a massive budget, let's say you spend a million dollars in a very short period of time, then you probably have a lot of software that will make automated decisions for you or help you scale. But when we talk about small businesses that are dealing with a zillion things at the same time, besides just marketing or B2B marketers like me, I don't want to be showing for a lot of things. Um, and I want to be able to those really high CPCs that you pay in cybersecurity. I want them to be able to trigger the right queries at the right time. Yeah. What about you, Julie? Do you see data security as a major problem here? Um, I tweeted this yesterday, <clears throat> excuse me, it feels to me like they're trying to wrap it in like this noble cause, right? Like everybody, everybody wants more privacy. Like who doesn't want more privacy, right? You seem like a jerk if you're like, well, I don't really want more privacy. Um, it's hard, it's hard to really look at it and say, oh yeah, I can see where they're coming from. I mean, I think the fact that, that you know, exactly what Andrea was saying, and if you spend any time looking in query reports, I mean, there are plenty of things that only have, you know, one, you know, one impression and one click. And we've seen those for a really long time. And I have been doing this since the beginning of time. And I don't remember, <laughs> you know, really seeing things in those query reports that I think now like, oh my gosh, like, this this would fall into that category of, of privacy. Um, it seems like a way to try to position it where it seems like they're doing something that everybody should just get behind because it's noble. Um, I just, I have a hard time swallowing that. <laughs> I really, I really do. Because it just, when you look at what it's likely doing, just it's just hard to make that leap for, for me anyway. Yeah. And it's just crazy timing too, because we had a story on the show last week. Greg tweeted this yesterday, like, the timing of the two stories together where somebody was in their call report and it was pulling in people's actual phone numbers. So like there, that is a data security problem right there is pulling in people's phone numbers and like how long the call came in and all this information. But then you're going to take away search query information that we've had for all this time and nobody thought was a data security concern before. So I thought that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it just seems so like lazy because they aren't really explaining why it's a privacy issue. They're just saying, mm -hmm. oh, this is a privacy issue. It's just like they're trying to say like people to shut up, but they don't explain where the privacy issue comes in because like I can't think of why that's a privacy issue. Like, please tell us why you think this is a privacy issue. There's no example. There's no case study. Like there's nothing. No one has ever raised this concern before. So it just feels like they're just kind of throwing that out there. Yeah. 
And to Andrea's point, I think they've done a pretty good job up until now filtering out anything that was personally identifiable. Nothing is coming to mind in my mind at all where I've been in a search term report and seen something that was like icky or something that I felt like I shouldn't be seeing. Besides well, some really bad spelling. Stuff. I mean, there's icky, there's icky stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's be- Icky's not the right word. But not but- on that front. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not for privacy reasons. Right. Some bad spelling and some things I don't want to know people are looking for, but yes. nothing personally identifiable to my memory. So this is where we're going to get a little off the rails because I'm choosing to point this question to Mark, but I know I feel a little bit personally attacked by this. So I wanted to ask you guys, starting with Mark, do you think there is any malicious intent here on Google's part? So like jaded me, who's tired of these things from Google says like, absolutely, yes, this is malicious intent. Like Google is out to push advertisers out of this. They want everything to be automated. They want us fiddling and things less so they can make more money. They're trying to push us out of the picture. But like, I, that is like me to a T. So I think it's malicious, but I do want to like take a step back and like act like, okay, I am not Mark Saltarelli. Like, what is this? And I think the intent that's there isn't necessarily malicious. I think their intent is to generate more revenue, which will have malicious effects on us. But the intent is more of like a corporate greed mentality in my mind. And it's really showing that Google like really hasn't taken any time and actually care how advertisers actually use their platform and what is important to them. They don't care about that. They're not concerned about what is important to the people using Google ads. Um, They're really just trying to make more money. So like they aren't necessarily outright trying to sabotage our performance, but it's a very clear side effect of them trying to get us to spend more money. So really for me, it's just an abuse of corporate power. They know they have us, we can't leave, and they're just trying to nickel and dime us while we're stuck here as much as they can on these bad matches. And but like right now I'm really angry about this, but I'm just looking at it and I'm like you're just going to keep trying to push us and push us and push us. And eventually people will start leaving because they won't be making any money on Google ads. So I think eventually let the pedal backwards, but yeah. So I think it's malicious to them. It's malicious to us, but I don't necessarily think that's the intent. Yeah. Julie, do you have any thoughts on the intent here or the bigger picture on Google's part? Um, I wouldn't characterize it as malicious. Do I think it's going to harm a lot of um, advertisers? Yeah. And I don't know that that was necessarily part of the thinking (laughs) that went into this. Um, I I will say my own personal experience in dealing with product people at Google ads, they're, they're all very passionate and enthusiastic about what they're doing. But, you know, when I have raised the question about, like transparency into, into data, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, I know we're going to talk about this later, but like the responsive search ads, like you don't really have a lot of insight into data. Um, my experience has been that the, the people involved in working on these products often are genuinely a little bit perplexed of like, but why would you need to know that? <laughs> it's just, it's a really interesting, just like difference in perspective as far as um, what's needed and what's desired by, by advertisers. So I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I feel like this is malicious. I, I think it's going to cause harm, but I don't think they set out to cause harm, you know, intentionally. Um, I think that this is part of the push towards 
less, um, more black box, like less transparency. So the automation of more things. Um, I think that this is part of that, you know, that, that train that has been out of the station for, you know, a couple of years now. So that's sort of my take on it. <laughs> I think, you know, if do no harm is, is sort of, you know, what they were trying to do, which I would not put that as Google's motto at all. Um, <laughs> they're, they're failing miserably at this part, but I don't think that they, I don't think that people were sitting around the room like, how can we screw over advertisers? Um, I think that that's, that's the net effect of what's going to happen. I think that the intentions and why this stuff is being done um, is, is different than that. But, you know, we, we're left to deal with the aftermath and we're left to deal with what it does, you know, to clients and to accounts that, you know, that we manage. So our perspective obviously is very different from whatever's happening inside the, the Google Hive. Mm -hmm. I know our team at Cypress North, we have like a marketing book club and we read, it seems like forever ago, but Mark was on our team. So it was in the last year, OKR book um, about how Google kind of started the concept of OKRs and how they work at the organization. And it kind of feels like that, like maybe the product people and the people doing the work every day, like have the best intentions and they want to make good products. And sometimes we have new stories about awesome new features you know, there's new conversion optimization categories this week. We love to hear it, but it seems like at a very high level, what they're really trying to do at the end of the day is make more money, increase their bottom line. And sometimes that trickles down into really discouraging day to day for the advertisers. I'd say. True. <laughs> so I want to move on because in the announcement, they say, they're only going to show terms that were searched by a significant number of users. This is another thing that Julie has touched on a bit already. So it says the search terms report only includes terms that a significant number of users search for, even if a term is clicked. So I wanted to ask you to expand on that, Julie. What do you think of this concept in the word significant? And who do you think will suffer the most from this change? It all depends on what that threshold is. And that threshold, you know, up until now has not been shared. I think that in the interest of, of transparency, that threshold should be shared. There's no reason not to share what that, what that threshold is. So you will know that you are, are you know, if, if impressions or clicks or, you know, if it's below the certain threshold, you're not going to see it in your reporting. Um, I think that that's, we don't know what that is. So that that's causing, I think, a lot of agita because nobody, like what is significant, right? Is significant more than two? Is significant, you know, more than 20? Is it more, like, what is that threshold? Um, because for smaller accounts or accounts that have lower, you know, lower volume, depending on what that, you know, quote unquote, significant threshold is, they could lose access to a, a good portion of their, you know, of their data versus a bigger account it might not matter as much, right? So like they're doing their volume on um, terms that are having, they're never even gonna come close to this threshold. So they're not as, you know, not as concerned about it. So I think one thing that Google could do that would sort of quell <laughs> or at least clarify, you know, and get people to think about this in a, in a more tangible way would be to just come right out and say, hey, here's what those thresholds are. Because right now we're imagining the worst, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it two clicks? Is it 20 clicks? Right, who we knows? Have no idea. Who yeah. knows? Andrea, what are your some thoughts? People, I was going to say somebody, some people started doing the math. If I only take out the clicks I've received one click, um, I'm going to end up losing 25% of my uh, search queries. And, and some other people have gone and say, well, if we're talking about five clicks, it might be 50% of the clicks I've received in a regular day or in a month. So as Julie said, it's what is the threshold? Because in very small accounts, 
that only spend maybe a hundred dollars a day, that could be a really big portion of what they get. So it's it a way for me to spend more so I can see more or what, what do I do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to get your thoughts um, on a tweet from Jonathan Hoshman yesterday, which I think made a really good point at J.E. Hoshman on Twitter. He said, if these other terms are insignificant, then Google shouldn't charge for them. When Google takes our money, they should be 100% transparent and report every single search query that was charged, which I think is a really good point. Like, what's significant to Google is so different than what's significant to the advertiser. And I also saw people yesterday saying, you know, for their accounts, um, like you guys have said, if you're, if you have a huge account, this might not be that big of a deal. You might only look at things that are getting a lot of clicks anyway, but there are advertisers on Google ads and clients of ours that that just isn't the case for. And every click counts and they really want to stretch their budget. And this just isn't looking out for them. And I think they could really suffer. Well, how would you know, right? I think that's the other part too. Like if you're an advertiser, you are a paying customer and you are paying for every single one of those clicks. So I think the larger question is what obligation does a, a Google ads or any network for that matter, where you're paying per click, what obligation do they have to their advertisers to have full transparency on exactly, you know, where that click should be attributed to? I would say they have a duty to a hundred percent show you where your money went. Um, I'd be interested in hearing what the argument is from a platform as to why it should be less than 100%, you know, as, as an advertiser. Yeah. I'd love to hear it too. <laughs> <laughs> and when we're talking about who this is hurting and, you know, you think about it hurting the little guy mostly, but I think in the end, like uh, all these changes and control that Google's taking away, like they're only hurting themselves. Like they started with this awesome product there's no one else matched, no other platform in the industry that, you know, does the same thing that Google ads does. But as they take things away, they're just ruining it more and more and taking away everything that's good about it. And I saw so many tweets yesterday about people switching to Microsoft or um, maxing out their Microsoft efforts. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. Well, um, one um, colleague um, at Comarketing asked me yesterday, he doesn't do pay and he's like, well, this can't stay. It doesn't sound right. And I'm like, well, where, where are you going to? And I use Microsoft Ads and I think they do a fantastic job, but most of the traffic in the United States, and this is not a secret to anyone, is on Google. So we need to start thinking about how to pivot strategies and tactics to be able to continue to improve performance or at least maintain and while receiving who knows what percentage of less information and Google making things broader on their end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, so I use Microsoft ads as much as I can, but the reality is that they have lower search volume and their CPCs are lower. So it's really hard to spend all of your paid budget on Microsoft ads. It's impossible. And I would love for them to have more search volume and succeed, but it, you just can't allocate all your Google budget to Microsoft. It's impossible. And I actually have one client where we're advertising on 24 different countries, but Microsoft doesn't even allow you to do that. So for the same countries that I'm targeting in Google in 24 different countries, I can only target five of those countries in Microsoft ads. So I would love to be able to do that, but they're not the same. You're not getting in front of the same people. So it's, 
really a struggle. And I love Microsoft search term reports. You can see anything your ad showed up for and it's great. And I always use that to carry over those search terms. And I see negatives, I'm adding a Microsoft that I'm seeing from these like three impression search terms with no clicks. And I'm adding those over in Google to be safe. So that is great that Microsoft gives us that information. I've had refunds from Microsoft for bad close variant matches before if I show them to them. And it's a great product, but I can't spend my whole budget there. If I'm pulling out of Google, I need to get really creative about where I'm spending my budget. And I did want to try to end on a positive note here. So I'll poise this question to you to start, Andrea. What do you think marketers can try to do to overcome this and thrive despite this change in Google Ads? Well, there are a few things. Um, I mentioned one already. I think dynamic keyword insertion has to be something treated very carefully today because we are not going to know what is actually being added to our copy. And as Mark said, anyone can go and take a screenshot and, and make a big deal of something that wasn't your fault per se. Um, the other thing is being very cautious with anything that it's dynamic, like dynamic search ads combined now with BMN, which is not BMN, it's broad with now clicks that you are not going to know where they are coming from. So I would be very cautious with any of that. And last but not least, something I do with my clients prior to this is I like to always try to add the landing pages that I'm going to be using into Keyword Planner because I get so much B2C traffic for my B2B clients. Um, so I try to use Google's ideas of what they think and trying to advertise this and bulk upload those as negative yeah. to try to save me some time in the future. That's great advice. I Julie, do you that. have any thoughts? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that um, this is going to, I mean, just for, for myself and thinking about the accounts that I'm, that I'm working on, I mean, I'm always an advocate of trying to be pretty tight in your focus in what you are choosing to advertise on paid um, because, you know, I mean, the very concept is you're paying for every single click. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think that you, you want to be pretty focused to, to begin with. I, I think I'm going to have to look at that at even like another, another level and see, you know, especially with the way things are matching, you know, it, it will probably cause me at least in the short term here until we either get more information or we see how this all shakes out to recommend being a little bit more conservative. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that this kind of flies in the face also of Google likes to tout all the time about how many brand new, never been seen before queries happen every day, every week, every month, right? They trot that number out all the time and they're doing it to try to get you to advertise more broadly, right? Because they're trying to say, well, you're missing out. You know, if you don't do this, there's like new queries every day and you're not going to get them, you know, and it's just, and so it's it, like, to me, this is a little bit at cross purposes with that line that they've been throwing out for years. It's like, okay, well, if all those queries are out there, <laughs> shouldn't I have a, a chance to kind of know what they are and that's see if maybe they're applicable? Um, so, so that's the other part of this that really bugs me um, because they've been pushing that narrative for two to three years now. And this seems to fly directly in the face of that. Yeah. It contradicts mm -hmm. a lot of things they said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think it brings up another great point too, that you're not just using the search terms report to identify bad matches, but you're also looking for new keyword opportunities that are might be lower volume, but really 
on the mark keywords that th people might convert on. So it's not only causing wasted spend, but you're taking away possible future opportunities to target really qualified keywords. So I think it's just gonna be a lot more work for marketers and being proactive and trying to come up with what those keywords are. And like Andrea said, coming up with those negatives ahead of time using the tools that Google provides for us. Definitely. And we were talking internally on our team yesterday about like if you had a client that had serious legal compliance issues, maybe you could get creative with value track parameters and try to see things that way, but that could get so complicated and you're not going to see it in the search terms report and it would be so much more work. So we're definitely going to have to get creative here. So I want to move on to our next topic now, if it's okay with everyone. Advertisers sure. noticed in their Google Ads account late last week that text ads, formerly expanded text ads, were no longer an option when they went to create new search ads. People thought it was a bug, but it turns out it wasn't. This is something that they are testing. And Ginny Marvin's story for Search Engine Land on August 28th kind of made this more widely known. And it was what everyone was talking about until that Search Query report <laughs> news broke. Text ads, the static search ads that allow you to add three headlines in one description so your assets will always appear in the same order that you entered them. Those were gone for these advertisers and people could only add responsive search ads that we all know are dynamic and allow you to add 15 headlines in four descriptions, but Google automatically tests the combinations, learns which combinations perform best, and they say that they're gonna show those winning combinations more. So the assumption here is that Google is phasing out text ads and responsive are gonna be really the only option. So Julia, I did wanna start with you here. What do you think of this if it is a permanent change? It seems like it's just a rumor or something they're testing right now. But if it is, what do you think of no text ads and only RSAs? I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm half joking, but um, I, I'm not like philosophically opposed to the idea of a responsive search ad. I think that it, it, has, it has promise. But there are a lot of buts that go along with that. And, and currently, the way that responsive ads work on, on uh, Google Ads, they don't really encapsulate a lot of those buts. So you have the opportunity to put all this different stuff in. And then, you know, Google, like behind the scenes, magically is deciding which, you know, which combos it should serve and all that. And you don't have any insight into that. Um, I think the part that frustrates me about this is it's a very simplistic view that nothing that you do inside, even inside of the Google system itself has any implications for what you do even in other parts of the Google system. So the, like the keyword thing, and then this, like, it's like everything is its own self-contained little unit and you don't need like, why would you need information from what your ads are doing to think about what you're doing with keywords or vice versa. And it's like, but I need all of that. And I probably want to apply some of that to, you know, what I'm doing, what I'm saying on my landing page. And do I need to make a separate version of a landing page maybe that addresses a particular, you know, um, question or query or concern, you know, that you're seeing coming up in, you know, in terms or that, it, you know, is, is evident based on, you know, what's happening in the, in the ad copy. And it's like, there's this huge disconnect of like, well, why would you need to know any of that to apply it anywhere else? And I find that maddening because, you know, that's the way my brain works. It's like, how is all this related? Like, how, how can I take information from one part and make the other parts that I'm doing better? And I feel like I'm being hamstrung left and right, you know, being able to, to do that. So I personally find it very mm -hmm. frustrating. 
Mm-hmm. Andrea, what do you think? I heard this once on Twitter, uh, which is you cannot continue. There are always exceptions. Um, so I like the example of chocolate milk and milk chocolate. It's not the same. It's very different. So if you're not going to tell me, you're going to be making changes to my keywords. And now you're going to be picking which headlines go best with which descriptions. And then how do I optimize my landing page for that? It, it's, it's this whole mess. And like Julie said, they don't give you a lot of information. They are going to say, oh, we give you a rating system and we tell you your ad is average and that you need to create more unique headlines. And they give you examples. So that's how Google has sold it to me, basically. And then I go into the examples to create unique headlines. And what do you get? Four examples that probably everybody's already doing. They don't apply to my B2B clients. And then what do I do? Uh, You are telling me I am not unique, that there's so much I can say in the 30, 35 characters we have. So give me my data and let me optimize from there. Because maybe the whole ad is underperforming just because of one headline. And let me take a little bit of power so I can improve upon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think like this, that speaks so well to what um, Julian and Andrea are saying that like the big thing is like, all of these changes like incrementally might not be a big deal, but it's the combination of them, which makes this really frustrating. Like it's the perfect storm. Um, There definitely must have some communications issues at Google that maybe that should be one of their OKRs to improve communication (laughs) of how these new features work together. Because it's really the combination, which is the headache of like trying to get these things to work together. But I will say one thing that like why this, isn't like terrifying for me is that I had the shower thought today. Um, So with RSAs, like if you only pin one headline and one description to each of the different positions, it will only show that one. So technically you will still be able to do an expanded text ad if you just pin one thing to every single position. So like you can still do an expanded text ad. It's just going to be a pain in the ass. Like it's going to be way more work to do an expanded text ad. And it's like they're trying to like twist our arms into doing RSAs by making a standard ad harder to create. Yeah. And they could always take that away too. The, the, the ability to pin. It seems like we're taking things away all the time. And something that, because I was thinking about that too, Mark, that you could always pin, but right now you're limited to three RSAs per ad group. I don't know if that is something that they would change if they change this, mm-hmm. but that kind of limits your testing if you wanted to test more than that. Sorry, Andrea, you were about to say something. Yeah, so Mark, I don't, I don't want to break your heart, but <laughs> this is my assumption. They are already grading your ads, right? And ad relevancy is still a quality score component. So what if all your quality scores drop significantly and then your CPCs will go through the roof? Because um, I am a big fan of not caring too much of quality score. It's about the actual experience and what I'm saying provides value. But if it's going to incrementally increase my CPCs to a point where I've never seen them before, then I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my my other concern there is if worst when the 
if people care about being a Google partner, like you will get penalized for not having enough headlines and descriptions in your RSAs. And that's a part of your optimization score. So if you care about the partner program and you care about that optimization score requirement, you can't do the expanded text ad cheat with pinning everything because that will lower your optimization score. That's a good point. And Andrea touched on this before, but one of the biggest pitfalls with RSAs is definitely that you can't see how all of your assets are performing or how the different combinations are performing. That's just Intel that Google doesn't do a good job of sharing. They're starting to get better with this. They have that new assets tab, but it's not available for everyone. Like I have it in some accounts and not others. So I'll flip this back to you, Andrea, because you talked about this before. Do you see reporting and optimization as a big problem for RSAs? Well, yeah, and I think we all touch a little bit on it. It's where, what it's working and what's not working, we just don't know. Um, so how do we take it from there? I, when I create a copy, I think it's fabulous, but the market is the one that tells me if I'm doing a good job or a bad job. Uh, and if I don't have that level of insight, then I won't be able to actually improve upon it. I'm going to be thinking about, okay, I think this is fabulous. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Um, so yeah, it's an issue. How, how do you move away from that if they're not telling you anything about it? Definitely. It, it fundamentally changes testing. I mean, like, can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> oh. Please. You know, you're, you're right now in the way that it's been historically up until this point, unless you are, have, you know, really gone headlong into, into doing RSAs is typically you are, are testing ads against each other, right? Well, this kind of turns out on its ear. If you're, if you're not able to create, um, you know, specific versions of ads and you want to run them against each other. So the whole concept of coming up with an ad that performs well, and then testing other ads against that to see if you can, you know, be, you know, beat your winner how do you do that if all you have are the, are the RSAs? So like that, the traditional mode of building ads and testing ads and doing all those things, like that's about to get turned on its ear. If this is, is implemented in the way that it seems like, you know, it's, it's going to be implemented. So, I mean, obviously we'll roll with whatever we have to roll with. Like we always do with the random acts of Google, but it's big. I mean, that's big. Yeah. And so far, it seems like Google's dynamic ad reporting is really relying on that good, better, best approach. Mark, do you have thoughts on that? Does that cut it for you? No, because what, what does that mean? Like, everything Google does is so vague. Like, we, like, are vague when we were getting the SMB grants. It's like, they aren't telling us what an SMB is. And then we get this number of search ret- um, terms that you're not going to show us. You don't give us a number. It's vague. And they're giving us good, better, best for <laughs> the relevance of our ads. It's just like it's average, below average, or above average. And it's like, what does that mean to me? Like, how am I supposed to improve it if I don't know what's wrong with it? It's just like, can you just like give us some data? <laughs> like some answers? Like, yeah. I don't, like your words mean nothing to me. <laughs> well, we don't need a kindergarten report card for our ad performance <laughs> is essentially what we're getting. Feeds improvement. <laughs> just saying. So satisfactory. Well, yeah, I like the little, the little circles they give you in dynamic ads. And it's like, you could use some better headlines in here. And I'm like, cool. And they'll be like, you're missing this headline from like this other ad that's doing really well and it'll be like a headline that has like a one word difference and I'm like 
oh, so you want me to say like this one thing and use a different like preposition? I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Sad. So <laughs> before we move on to our final topic here, does you guys have already touched on this a little bit, but does anyone have any positive thoughts or how marketers could adapt to this change in particular? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is just you have to be proactive. Like we have to start preparing for this if it's going to happen. So if you aren't using RSAs, now is the time to start trying and practicing and figuring out how to use them. And I think to what Julie said, like trying to figure out how we're supposed to run tests with RSAs and how we can do that and what that looks like. Like I think now is the time to start experimenting that so that when the change does happen, we're not left not knowing how to run these accounts for our clients and make impactful change. So I think start practicing now in a lower risk situation, figure out a formula and get used to using RSAs so that when you have to, you're prepared. Great advice. What else are you gonna do? (laughs) For me, I think, um, and I do this today, which is I always pin my call to action in the headline. Um, the reason being is, I don't know if Google is only talking about how wonderful my client is, but it's not telling ultimately the user what they're going to get or what they're going to see when they land on the page. Um, so that's key for me. And the other thing I think a lot of people forget, even if you start pinning things around, yes, Google allows you to add three headlines and you could pin them or not, and you can add as many descriptions as you, as you want. But Google is not showing the three headlines all the time. It's not showing even the, the first description completely all the time. So be very cautious about what you put, especially at the beginning of your ads on the descriptions. Um, and I, I personally, I am a big fan of pinning the call to action in headline one or two. So I know at least it will show. That's a really good idea. The other issue I was going to bring up is compliance. Um, I know there are a lot of, uh, you know, businesses that don't have compliance related, related issues, um, and that's wonderful, but there are quite a few different industries where, you know, you have varying levels of compliance that you have to deal with. Some are, you know, really intense, you know, like financial services and, you know, that type of thing, like it's super intense. And then you have others where it might not be at that level, but clients can be very, you know, it, it, it depends a lot on your client and it depends a lot on, on what level of um, approval are they requiring also. So it introduces a whole other level of potential, you know, communication you need to have with, with clients. So my recommendation would be if you are working in compliance heavy industries, you're going to need to have a conversation with your clients about this because I guarantee this is going to be a major headache. Um, and if you're not, if you have clients who are very... Um, who want to approve like every little tweak and every little thing that happens with ads, you better start talking to them about this now before it becomes like the only way that you can do stuff and kind of like prepare them for the fact that like, Hey, this change is probably coming and this is how we're going to have to handle it. You know, you can approve all of the elements and we can do certain things to try to like nudge it to do what we want it to do. But we could very well be, be losing a lot of control over, you know, how this is. So I would do that work with those personality types now mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you're kind of laying that groundwork for when, you know, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, well, this is how we have to do it. And you don't want them to have a total bird, you know, at, at that point. Definitely. 
get ready now. Mm-hmm. Great advice. So I would love to talk about text ads all day, but we have one more discussion topic here because advertisers received another fun notifications from Google ads this week. It says, as of 1 November 2020, we will begin adding a fee to your next invoice or statement for ads served in these specific countries. Ads served in Turkey, a 5% regulatory operating cost added to your invoice or statement. Ads served in Austria, a 5% Austria DST fee added to your invoice. And ads served in the UK, a 2% UK DST fee added to your invoice or statement. So with the UK fee in particular, it was announced earlier this year that the UK was going to charge a 2% tax for, quote, large multinational enterprises with revenue derived from the provision of a social media service, a search engine, or an online marketplace to UK users. And Google, with this news, is essentially announcing that they are passing this fee on to the advertisers. So I'll start with you here, Julie. What do you think of this news, and what do you think it means for advertisers using Google Ads? I'm going to start with the positive. At least they're being 100% transparent. <laughs> yeah, unlike some other stories we've had today. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, look, is anybody surprised that they're <laughs> passing passing the fee on? I mean, do we really think that they're going to eat 2 to 5% of, you know, of, of revenue for advertising in this market? No, they're not going to do that. I would say this to me is like, I, I tweeted about this today too. Google Ads is so bad at positioning things and rolling things out. Like I, for the amount of resources that that organization has, I, it shocks me <laughs> how they really don't know how to speak to the audience who's going to be receiving the information a lot. So I, I feel like, you know, they, it is what it is, right? If you're doing business in this, people are, are mad because it's like, well, I'm a small, like I'm not a huge multinational corporation, right? I'm a small advertiser, but I'm doing business on a platform that like meets that criteria. So should I have to pay that 2% tax? I mean, I feel like that's a question that could probably, you know, you could debate for, for days, but I mean, I don't know it, this isn't something that's going to get changed. You know, they're, they're passing this on because they don't, they don't want to absorb it. So, you know, if you're advertising in those markets, you're going to have to just start, you know, baking, baking that in. I mean, that's just the new, you know, the new reality, which kind of stinks. Mm-hmm. And when the UK government announced this tax, they said they wanted to tax these, quote, large multinational enterprises, but they didn't say anything about taxing the advertisers, like Julie said. So Andrea, do you think this is legal or fair? And do you think, isn't it kind of just effectively bypassing the goal of the tax by passing it on? What are your thoughts? I I don't necessarily hate everything about this. And the reason being is if you're you're going to have different costs associated with running your business. You usually pass that into increasing your price. Um, if, and I, I don't, I am not a legal expert, but if this government didn't specifically mention, you have to actually get it from your revenue rather than passing it through, or you're going to change your cost structure. Um, it kind of feels like that it's not 100% Google's fault. Obviously, I don't want to pay for it. Because um, that means that the very small advertiser that spends $100,000 um, or something like that, that it's very small, it's going to get hit pretty hard because every dollar counts. 
Um, so those are my thoughts um, about it. I don't necessarily hate it, but um, yeah, I, I don't see Google reducing the revenue just because they put a tax on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think like this, like the way that this was just immediately passed directly onto advertisers and there being like no part of the legislation to make sure it was coming directly out of like Google's pocket. Um, really just reminds me of like how little governments actually understand how online advertising works. Like my mind um, went straight to like a few years ago of when Mark Zuckerberg was testifying in Congress during Cambridge Analytica. And there was a senator from Utah who was like, how do you possibly sustain a business model where users don't pay to use Facebook? And like Mark Zuckerberg was like, Senator, the exact quote is, Senator, we run ads. Like, they have no idea how these things work. <laughs> and the fact that there wasn't some security where this isn't going to be passed on to small businesses, like, that reeks of them not really thinking it through how online advertising actually works. But besides that, on the other hand, this is going to get passed on to advertisers regardless. So with the way Google did it, it's direct, it's being included in your invoice. But if they were yeah. just paying it themselves, they would just increase what a click costs. Like yeah. you're, it, either way, advertisers are going to pay for it. It's just whether that is going to be itemized like Google is now and including in the invoice, or if we won't see it in CPCs, it's going to go up a little bit. So really there's nothing we can do to prevent this from affecting small businesses. Well, and Amazon, Amazon's passing it along too. Um, so, I mean, I feel like it's, it's probably only inevitable uh, that we will get information forthcoming from the rest of the platforms as well as to how they're, you know, they're planning on handling it. But Google's not the only one. I mean, Google made it November 1st. Uh, Amazon, I think they made it effective September 1st. So, <laughs> <laughs> they're getting right to the point. It's a little yeah. brief. Did they announce September first too, like Google did with the search terms report? Hey, I think they did. Like, I don't, I don't see do work in Amazon ads, but I did see some people, you know, tweeting about that. Like, hey, Amazon, you know. So it's, I feel like with any of these taxes, it's going to be unless there's something specifically in the legislation that says you can't do this. What company? I mean, and, and that's just business, right? Like you just, you, you know, as Andrea was saying, like you pass on when your costs increase. Sometimes you just eat it. But most of the time it kind of creeps in and, and it increases, you know, the, the end cost for, for your users. So I fully expect that all of the other platforms that are selling advertising, if they are being hit with this tax in those different countries, you're going to see it manifest in, in one of the two ways, either directly passed on or, you know, the, the cost for effects are just going to, you know, they're just going to creep up to cover it. Yeah. So what I saw with the biggest problem with this, with Google ads in particular, is that they're taking away like the granularity with location targeting. You can't target people who are just in a location anymore. It's people who are in or regularly in. Um, so considering that with Google ads in particular, do you guys think there are any specific steps that marketers should take to prepare for this change? Well, I think, I guess like speaking to that point, I guess you can still exclude a direct location. So you'd have to literally only target that location, then exclude everything else to like control that cost. Like, I don't know how Google is planning on doing that. Like, are they going to charge you the tax when that person actually isn't there or how are they reporting on that? So that kind of raises a red flag on like what internal systems are they having there if they're not even letting us monitor it. But I think for me personally, 
I think the biggest thing that advertisers have to do with this is start communicating to clients now, or if you're internal, whatever, whoever your internal stakeholders are. And it's not going to be difficult. You can just take your numbers and model them now as like, if the tax was happening now, this is what our results would be. Because you have to start setting those expectations. Otherwise, in a year from now, they're going to be like, why is our cost per conversion up? And you, it's not going to be much, but they're going to be asking why it's not an improvement year over year, and you're going to have to account for that tax. So I'm just would start communicating that and make some sort of model so they can see directly how the tax is going to affect their performance on any of these networks. I think that that's excellent advice. I was going to say about the exclusions. Um, I'm a huge fan of doing a lot of exclusions anyway. Um, and it seems ridiculous that I have to spend time doing this, but mm -hmm. um, I exclude every country, like every account that I work on, I exclude every country I'm not targeting by default. I just have a list and I just, wow. you know, do it. I, I do it for everything. And, and local stuff is even worse, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with a franchise client recently and, you know, franchises are very specific <laughs> in which areas they're able to operate in and, and with, you know, like where, where those lines of demarcation are. Um, the amount of time that I spent on excluding locations just to make those accounts function properly when they, when they added that nonsense of, you know, not being able to just target people in the locations you want to target, um, that's increased my workload tremendously. But I feel like that work, that groundwork that I'm doing for that other stuff anyway, um, if you're not already doing that, you might want to think about it so that you're not having things fall into that category that maybe, you know, shouldn't. Andrea, any parting thoughts on this topic? Well, I, I hate this topic very much because I remember very clearly when it happened. It was May 2019. I was in Hawaii with my husband. We oh, were having this so wonderful sad. time. <laughs> so sad. Like, I remember seeing this thing and was like, this is the most horrendous thing I've ever heard. What do you mean? I cannot target people in the U.S., period. Um, and for example, I have a client that sells products. It's an e-commerce website, and they don't have the ability to ship anywhere else than continental U.S. So it's ridiculous. As, as Julie said, I've been adding um, all the locations. I have this massive spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. I just take out the location <laughs> I'm going to use and then yep. copy and paste and editor everything else. But it's, 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 it's so time consuming. And, and we're talking here, you guys have done this for years. You have done paid for years. We have all the experience in the world. And then Google makes these changes and people who are may not have, may use different hats throughout the day uh, and they do more than just paid or maybe they didn't, they miss the news. And, and now you're going to tell me that you might also charge me on top of it, a percentage of money on locations I didn't want to show up. So it's, it's pretty much frustrating. Um, just add those negative locations and, and don't leave any account without them. Um, they protect you for sure. Great advice. Exclude away. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today, Julie, Andrea, and Mark. Um, where can people find you on Twitter, Julie? Uh, you can find me at Neptune Moon, and I'm hanging out on the PPC chat hashtag, of course. You can always post up there, and I will most likely see it. Yep.
Well, I'll be there next Tuesday. <laughs> what about you, Andrea? You can follow me at Andrea Cruz 92 on Twitter. And if you want to send me a DM or have any questions, I love hearing from you guys. And Mark. Yep, you can find me at Mark from Marketing. That's Mark underscore from underscore MKTG. And yeah, same. Just feel free to reach out, follow any questions that you have. I'm very sassy on Twitter. So. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> it's a fun time. <laughs> and I'm at Shep Zernheld. And if you want to join the conversation, you can always find us at Marketing O'Clock as well. It is now officially not marketing a clock or marketing a talk today. If you're looking for more digital marketing news, please be sure to subscribe to our show. We release new episodes every week with Jess Budd and Greg Finn, our famous Friday news show, including today's. As I said, it's already published in the feed, so be sure to check that out if you haven't already. And we will see you next week.